Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Con Man's Answers show. Best new show in podcasting, in my own opinion, and, and lots of people's opinions. Today, my guest is Dr. LeBaron Agostini. He got his PhD in cancer biology from Thomas Jefferson University. He studies oncology, drug development, and he is a pharma consultant. He can be found on Instagram at Lee underscore the underscore scientist. All right, welcome back, everyone. Con Man's Answers 63, I think. Don't hold me accountable. I don't know. I just do this. Um, today, my guest is a doctor, actually, PhD. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself without further ado. All right, so I'm LeBaron Agostini, or you know, Dr. LeBaron Agostini. Um, PhD is in cancer biology, genetics, and genomics, uh, with an emphasis in molecular therapeutics. Um, I'm a consultant. That's that's my my day job. And then I run the, the Lee the Scientist Instagram page where I post sciencey shit with um kind of no filter. And here I am. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I I came across your page. I was like, that seems like someone that I would love to talk to. Especially, let's just start out from the, from the jump. What you said, cancer biology. What is that like studying that? What was it like doing undergrad and graduate school or or medical school doing that? What is studying cancer biology like? Yeah, so first, um, I guess I'll start with my undergrad. Um, my, my bachelor's degree is in um, molecular and cellular biology with the emphasis in molecular genetics. And so what that means is understanding the machinery of how the genetic information is processed is like molecular genetics. So, cause there's different, genetics is kind of like a, it's, it's a big field and then there's like subspecialties in, People study like population genetics or um, inheritance. I don't really study that stuff. I, I studied like the the biochemistry the biochemistry of how genetic information is processed, um, and then like kind of like the downstream signaling pathways. And so that's that was my background. <clears throat> um, and then I was like, okay, what do I do next? I used to want to be a pharmacist at least when I started undergrad, and I worked in a pharmacy during undergrad and realized I didn't want to go to grad school for that. Um, so then I started doing undergraduate research and something totally different. I, I didn't even do cancer research yet. I was doing, I was actually looking for antibiotics from soil bacteria, hmm. which was like super interesting. A lot of like organic chemistry stuff. Um, and then I ended up, you know, working, I graduated, I worked at the University of Miami doing diabetes research, again, super different. And then I was like, okay, I want to make drugs. I want to you know, I really have like this, I want to understand and learn about cancer uh, because my background was in molecular genetics. Cancer is essentially genetic disease. So I was like, let me go get a PhD in cancer biology. And then applied a bunch of places, you know, got got into a few places, ended up um, going to Thomas Jefferson University. And uh, studying cancer biology is really, again, it's like this huge term and there's a bunch of different subspecialties, but broadly speaking, um, you, you, you understand why cancers occur, um, understand the biology that governs them. And then hopefully with that understanding, you can create therapies. So that was what my PhD was really focused on. So I talked to a virologist not too long ago. I talked to him twice. Um, and he, yes, yes. I know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so but we were talking about, we dabbled in the first time we talked to cancer a little bit. I don't know that much about cancer, but I know that it's a mutation that kind of just keeps jumping, right? Just give me and everybody else a little background on what cancer is. And you said like why it occurs. What did you find that it occurred, why it occurs, you know, in society so much? Yeah. 
So, I mean, cancer is really a disease of old age. Um, and so, you know, for an analogy that, that kind of makes sense to everybody is that, you know, you got a car for a long time, no matter what you do, you just drive it, it things get old and it break. Well, so that happens inside of cells too. As you age, the cells get replenished, but they also age, the cells age as well. And things just don't work the same. The systems in the body don't work the same. And so mutations occur and they build up and eventually mutations occur in genes that are important for stopping cells from becoming cancers. Um, and then once those genes are mutated, then the cell just proliferates. Um, essentially it's, it's called transformation and cells transformed and then it just proliferates uncontrollably because at that point, cells in your body kind of understand that they're cells in the body. They know that they're part of this greater infrastructure that makes up an organism. The cancer cell doesn't give a fuck about that anymore. It is like, I want to survive. I'm going to do things that help me survive in whatever environment I am, I'm in. Um, and so, yeah, so we realized that, you know, most of these things are just what we call stochastic, meaning that they happen randomly because people are old. And some of that is the cells and also some of that is the immune system. The immune system normally keeps um, cancer cells in check, kills them when, when, when it realizes it's a cancer cell. But as the immune system, as you age, your immune system starts to fail. Um, it gets less diligent, it gets less effective. Um, so there's a kind of like a perfect storm of things that occur and that's why people get cancer, mostly. Also things can give you cancer. You know, smoking, alcohol. The sun. Chemicals, the sun, you know. And there's nothing special about the sun specifically. The sun is just a giant energy source and it give, causes, it give, emits UV rays, right? And those UV rays hit cells and create these things called pyrimidine dimers, which essentially you take two nucleotides, which are the letters of the of the genome, and the energy literally fuses them together. It creates a covalent bond, and that's called a pyrimidine dimer. And so when those two nucleotides fuse together, you make a little bridge, and then the machinery that's supposed to read the DNA and then like duplicate it and all that stuff doesn't understand what to do with this. And so that can, cause repair mechanisms to come, try to fix it. And sometimes they fix it incorrectly and then that's a mutation. And then kind of go down this mutational cascade where um, that cell can then turn into a tumor cell. Yeah, and cancer is fascinating because like it, like you said, it is like an old age um, disease, but it, it happens, it could happen in anyone. And the one that's yep. the saddest the most is little kids, you know, when they get cancer. Do we know why it is, like, why, is it just because of that, what you said, just like maybe some things give them cancer, like uh, microwaves and things like that. I know they, South Park, I'm getting my information from a, a TV show. <laughs> so, no, they don't, uh, not to worry about microwaves. But so kids, kids actually, um, this is going to sound not, not weird, but kids get relatively, they only get a few different types of cancer. Um, they get things like, and mostly it's because of, uh, genetic predisposition, mm. like they inherited some rare genetic disease that increases their cancer susceptibility. Um, or they get, you know, leukemias, they get sarcomas, they get osteosarcoma. Sarcomas are like, um, cancers of like the soft tissue, like muscle cancers oh, okay. and stuff like that. Um, Osteosarcomas are bone cancers. Kids get that. Teenagers get that. And then kids get leukemia, like all the time. But we're really good at curing leukemia in children. Actually, they do really well on treatment. Really? Why is that? The childhood, it's, uh, we think it's 
so leukemia is a, is a blood cancer. And what happens is when we, what we think, we don't really know, what we think is that the, the bone marrow is, is young, essentially. And to, to kill the cancer, we essentially have to get close to eliminating a person's bone marrow and killing the cancer cells. And we think that children, because the bone marrow is young, because they're young, they bounce back from, their bone marrow bounces back really well from, mm -hmm. you know, that, the, the chemo and radiation, all those things. And also kids are young, they're healthy mostly. They don't have any comorbidities or diseases that are also occurring with their cancer. Like old people have like cardiovascular issues because they're old as hell, and then they have cancer. So then like the drugs that would make cardiovascular issues worse, as you gotta really pay attention to that in old people. But in little kids or in, in adolescents, they don't have any other diseases. They just have the cancer. And so it allows you to kind of treat and intensify and they just do better on therapy. Um, and so they, they have a higher cure rate. Also leukemias in general, um, if caught early, have a, have a pretty decent cure or, or remission rate. So some, some, and again, cancer is like a big term. So some cancers we have really great treatments for and some cancers are a fucking nightmare. What's the worst cancer to get if you had a, I heard pancreatic's pretty bad, right? So that, that was, that my PhD focused on pancreatic cancer as the disease model. It's, it's a nightmare. Um, this is not a lot of therapies that work. Like if you get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer today, you're probably going to live for like 15 to 18 months. That's insane. And why is that? Like on average. Well, <clears throat> mostly because most of the patients that get diagnosed there, they have metastatic disease, meaning that it's already spread to other organs. Mm. And that's because we don't have any screening or blood tests or anything like that to help detect pancreatic cancer. So usually a patient comes in, they have jaundice, which is a yellowing of the skin and the eyes, um, or they have some bowel pain or there's, there's some blood in the stool or something like that. And they're like, okay, I need to go to the doctor. And then it's like, okay, well, like a lot of different things can cause you know, the, the pain and the blood in the stool thing. And so then they, eventually we get to a point where it's like, okay, let's do like a CT scan and look at your pancreas. And then, you know, we do a CT and it's all over the place, followed by a PET scan and then really see like, so it's already advanced. And because it's advanced, it's harder to treat. That's true for all cancers. Once it's spread, it's just harder to treat. And then there's not a lot of drugs that work. For some reason, pancreatic cancers are chemo resistant meaning that chemotherapy just doesn't work as well. And we don't have targeted therapies for pancreatic cancer like we do for other tumor types, like breast cancer mm -hmm. or lung cancer, for example. Breast so cancer is really gnarly. Bad. Breast cancer is gnarly too, because if you catch it, it, the chance of survival is high, right? But if it comes back in remission, it's like the chance of uh, mortality is really high, right? That's, that's with every cancer though. <clears throat> you catch it early and it's like, you know, a woman is like, does like a mammogram, so they'll have a lump and they do and they do a biopsy and they're like, that's cancer, we're going to take it out <laughs> and, and, you know, give you some chemo, some surgery and really good survival rates. Um, but a lot of people still relapse, meaning that the cancer comes back. And when the cancer comes back, it's usually harder to treat. Why, why two questions, sorry. One, why does the cancer come back? What, do we know why? And second, why is it harder to treat once it comes back? So the first, the answer to your first question is <clears throat> the lump, the tumor that we, that we visualize that we could see with our naked eye is like millions of cells, right? But it only needs, you only need one cancer cell to, to restart that tumor. 
So when you do surgery, what they call complete resection, it means that they got all of the tumor that they can visually see. And then they take the surrounding area of the tumor, what they call the, the margins, so it's negative margins because they've gotten all that area. And then there's pathology to look, is there any cancer cells around the area that we took? And that's called like a complete resection. Still, that's not good enough to know if there's one cancer cell that made its way to the bone and it's just chilling. And then six years later, it's grown enough for it to be a tumor again. And again, most patients come back with some symptom and the symptom is because there's a mass growing in a place it shouldn't be. Uh, there are relatively few cancers that we have like blood tests for from a detection perspective or like screening or something like that. Prostate is one of them. Breast cancer is another one, but it's not blood tests. Like we're literally checking for lumps. Um, so there's just not a lot, <clears throat> unfortunately. To answer your second question, why is it more resistant is because that cancer has undergone some level of treatment. It survived for whatever reason. It not only survived because it wasn't in the surgical area, it usually probably survived because it was resistant to the therapy. But because it's one cell, it takes a long time for it to grow back. And so now that it's grown, you know, from that one cell to hundreds of millions of cells again, and the tumor is then, you can't use the same therapy again. You got to mm -hmm. use different therapies. And sometimes those different therapies are just not as effective. So you said earlier that cancer like does doesn't give a fuck about the whole system like your cells do. Um, why is that? Do we know why that is? Mm. Well, <clears throat> you got to think. Um, you you ever watch cells at work on Netflix? No, I haven't. I'm sorry. It's like a it's like a biology cartoon or whatever. Mm. I haven't watched it either, but it turns out it's really popular. So the premise of that though is that. <laughs> Their immune system is like like construction workers and like police and stuff and like they mm -hmm. live in the body and it's like a whole organization and everybody's communicating with each other. And that's kind of how the body works, right? Like all of the body has the same genetic information, but my elbow is different from my asshole. And that's because they're reading different, you know, pages in this encyclopedia of information, so to speak. <clears throat> and they also understand that the cells next to them are also asshole cells and my elbow cells know that they're next to elbow cells. So there's communication there. Part of the reason that um, cancer cells don't care is because they undergo something called anchorage independence, meaning that they can not be attached to other cells. And so the communication requirement that normal cells have from rubbing shoulders with other cells goes away. And also the, the cell is built to survive within the body in this context, all cells are, right? To, to absorb nutrients and the cancer cells primary focus becomes that. Whatever the activity of that cell was beforehand, you know, like saliva cells make saliva. Once you get a tumor there or that cancer cell, it goes, okay, I'm not gonna worry about making saliva anymore. I'm just gonna worry about proliferating. Like so making saliva becomes like a secondary thing for me now. Proliferation becomes my primary goal. And the reason of that is because the things that transform the, what make a cancer cell a cancer cell essentially hijack the molecular machinery within inside of a cell. And those proteins are mutated, so they're not working correctly, and they're driving the cell to proliferate. So yeah, at, at the root of it, the machinery that's inside the cell is not working correctly, and that's causing all of this to happen. Yeah, and therefore, it's it sounds it sounds like a virus to an extent. Learned learned about viruses and stuff. Yeah, it, it, were they similar, like similar analogy? But were they like it's? But the only thing is, one it's our own cells and they're living. So one thing that always like 
I don't understand. Most people probably don't either is what's the difference or why the difference happens between benign and malignant. I think it's malignant, right? It's the word for that. Mm-hmm. Um, why do some cells like, um, like, why are they benign and why are some not? And why do some like really keep growing and spreading and everything like that? And why do some stay in one place? Tumors. Yeah. So that really is about the genetic drivers. Um, tumors. So the word tumor itself just means like a mass of cells that, that are growing in that space. And there's like a lot of things that can cause that, you know, breakdown. And um, again, like <clears throat> the body is like super organized, you know, this, this human thing that we, you know, running around in is like super organized, like skin is layered in a very like um, set way. Um, and so, and that happens in all of the cells, all your organs are constructed in like this very set way. And so what happens is when you get tissue damage or cells get damaged, you disrupt that organization, you can get a tumor and those cells may be genetically different, but they're not truly transformed cells. And so the tumor isn't spreading, but it may be growing rapidly, but not so much that it's going to spread to other parts of the body. Malignant cells are truly transformed cells. They are going to grow in a tumor and start to spread in a process called metastasis. And there's a whole bunch of, some, some cancers, there's genetic drivers that drive that. And in some cancers, there's not genetic drivers that, that do that. And cancers, different cancers metastasize at different rates. Some are highly metastatic, some aren't. <clears throat> it all depends on the genetics that are on at the t- and off at, in those particular cells. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really it. And, and with benign tumors, you just remove them. And then it's, it's over. The, the malignant stuff, that's what we have to worry about spread. You take the, the main, the primary tumor out, but then you still have smaller tumors in other places that will eventually get big. And that's really the stuff that kills you. It's not, it's not always the tumor in the location where it started. It's the, you know, for example, like lung cancer, one of the common places that those cancer cells travel to is the brain. So not only are your lungs going to eventually stop working because the cancer is just going to grow and decrease the lung function, but also the cancer goes to the brain and then it starts to occupy not a lot of room in the brain for, no, yeah, for other things not, that aren't supposed to be there. So then the tumor starts to grow there. And then eventually, you know, you get a mass in the tumor it causes damage, you know, damage the neurons, neurons, you, you know, you die. That's kind of how it goes. Um, so yeah, it's just very complicated in that way. Yeah, I was going to ask you about if if those tumors in the brain, if they damage the neurons in any way, but you just answered that. Um, my yeah, other just from like just growing in that space. Yeah. <laughs> is So the tricky thing about cancer is like when you think about it, it's like when something's growing in the correlation between something growing in your body and that's not supposed to be there and then death. How does tumors and cancer itself kill you specifically? Yeah, it's, it's just um, – the cancer cell kills you because it's um, creating a disruption in the normal function of whatever organ it's supposed to be in, right? So like your liver is super important, your kidney super important. Like we know that we can't live without these organs. So eventually the tumor burden becomes so much in, in an organ that the organ ceases to function. And that's, that's really how people die. It's, that it's not that the cancer is secreting something or anything like that. It would be, it's almost like just causing trauma to the organ. You know, if you, you know, shot someone in the heart, it caused a puncture and stuff like that. Also, cardio heart cancers are super rare, but let's just use this as an example. 
you would cause damage to the heart and it would, you know, stop it from functioning, blood would be squirting, all that stuff. Eventually the cancer cell that grows in a space and then like just ruptures the tissue around it because it's just growing out of control. And then the organ stops working. So and same thing with pancreas, you need your pancreas. <laughs> Even though um, the pancreas not working will reduce your lifespan, you could technically live without a pancreas. We could supplement some of the things that the pancreas does, but you will not live as long. It's really the, the liver failure and you know all these things. And a problem we don't use transplant to cure patients, at least with solid tumors, is because we can't just take the organ out and then give you a new organ because the cancer that's there that we don't know about will eventually just repopulate. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and and for organs like that and stuff, I was going to ask you a question about the heart. Well, first and foremost, you said can- heart cancer to the heart is really rare. Do we know why that is? So the heart cells don't really replicate. Um, and that's part of it too. Um, which is why like, so like brain tumors are also rare, relatively speaking, compared to all of the other cancers. Unless it like moves to the brain. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so patients will, so not, technically it's not a brain tumor, it's a tumor that's in the brain. Usually we call it like a CNS, like a central nervous system metastasis, because mm. the tumor didn't enri- arise in the brain. It's, it's actually a lung tumor that's growing in the brain. But um, normally for pre- people to just have brain tumors is, is pretty rare. Um, and so the, the cells of the heart don't replicate. Um, and so they have a lower potential for turning into a cancer cell. They also have a lower potential for turning into a cancer cell because it's not exposed to anything. So like skin cancers are super common because the sun is here and the sun yeah. is trying to cook you. <laughs> I know it's crazy. To the sun fascinates me because not only do you like you need the sun to like feel good, you need vitamin D, but you also if you get too much of it, you die. It's like yeah, so like skin cancer is higher in Australia because people are outside like all the time. Yeah, and in like uh, I know Bob Marley died of skin cancer, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, which is interesting, but you know, Bob Marley's kind of light skin, like he lighter than I was. Yeah. Um, well, everybody gets cancer. African Americans get melanoma, so it, it, the incidence is rarer in African Americans, but usually the cancer is more aggressive, and we really don't understand why that is. Yeah, that's another question I had for you about cancer. Does it attack certain specific people differently? Does it attack? Well, obviously, not garring gender for like prostate and um, breast right, cancer. Right. Yeah, because women don't have prostates, right? So they yeah. don't get prostate cancer. But now, I know what you mean. Um, or continue. No, no, yeah, just, I mean, if you understand what I'm saying, I was going to say, does it attack, like, specific ethnicities, races differently, and stuff like that? Yeah, so some of it is, like, um, some of it is environmental, like, in Asian countries, they get this thing called a liver fluke, which is, like, a parasite that can give you liver cancer, and um, gastric cancer is com- more common in Asian countries, and even lung cancer, which is super common in the U.S., Asian Americans and Asians that get lung cancer they usually get, they have a higher rate of something called an EGFR mutation. It stands for epidermal growth factor receptor. I don't exactly know why that is. This is like a really cancer genetics question. We have done the studies to know that it occurs more rapidly. We don't really understand why those groups of people get those types of cancers more frequently because it's, it's a mix of things. Um, but again, we're all, you know, we're closer to each other than we are farther apart, genetically speaking, but we're also like different enough that 
the genetic composition of our cells and the organs and all that stuff can impact the amount or the way cancers form. For example, triple negative breast cancer in African-American women, more aggressive, more common in African-American women. We think there's a genetic factor there. Not exactly sure why, what that genetic factor is because things are not usually like, um, they're not exactly linear. Some diseases are like, this mutation causes this disease. Awesome. <laughs> that, because we can try to create solutions for that. But most of the diseases are clear, like they, they have multiple genetic factors. They're multifactorial. So it's not, it's not like one gene causes it. It's like, oh, these seven genes cause, helped cause this thing. And in a different person, it was these 14 genes that weren't working correctly. And it's really hard to do population studies on, on that stuff. Statistically, it's a nightmare. Yeah, that can make sense. And like, like you said, like some things, you know, are direct causations. Like clearly, if you're smoking cigarettes, that clearly causes uh, lung cancer. Yeah. Stop smoking cigarettes if you don't want lung cancer. That's like, a, there's the correlation. Um, Pretty straightforward. Yeah, and chewing tobacco, mouth cancer, stuff like that. But right, like- exactly. But alcohol is an interesting one because it doesn't just cause liver cancer, right? It can cause cancer to all sorts of things. Yeah. So <clears throat> alcohol increases your risk um, for certain cancers. And smoking increases your risk for pancreatic cancer. Really? Yeah. We, just, we don't know why. So what does alcohol increase your risk for besides liver cancer? Um, I think alcohol – so I think alcohol has a – the entire – if I'm thinking about these studies correctly, alcohol in general increases your cancer risk the same way that obesity in general increases your overall cancer risk. And why is it? Because it's poison? Is that like the straightforward answer? Um, well, alcohol in particular is like, why it causes liver cancer? Because liver, literally liver cells are dying and alcohol is, is a toxin for all intents and purposes. It's a toxin. Um, and so the liver cells essentially stop working or changes the way that they work. And that increases your risk of cancer. It makes your liver more fatty, all these things. The obesity thing, um, we think part of it has to do with the different inflammation profile that obese people have. Like the, the protein signaling pathways are different in obese people. Mm. We think that has a reason at, or, or impacts the cancer risk. Um, and then overall, like, people are, are usually obese because of just like poor lifestyle habits. And so is it really that they're greater than 35% body fat or is it that they just have a culmination of unhealthy eating habits and activity habits and that increases their cancer risk? It's a hard question to ask because we don't have a controlled study to make people fat and then make them healthy, like yeah. healthy lifestyle, but fat person, they would have to have like some type of like physiological genetic disease which then again, that's a confounding factor. And then we can't do another study. So a lot of these studies where we look for associations are like, we're literally just looking at people like in the broad society and then seeing what the associations are and then testing whether or not those things are like statistically significant. That's like the first thing you do when you're looking for an association. Like, is it more occurring in certain populations? And so like the smoking thing for pancreatic cancer, it's like people who smoke are more likely to get pancreatic cancer. Why? have no idea toxins yeah yeah it's just like we know it's easier with lung cancer because like we know smokers like when we look at the lungs we know that there's more mutations that are driven by the things the carcinogens and nicotine and smoking a lot of stuff like patients who smoke that have lung cancer have like 
their tumors are literally genetically different than patients who have lung cancer and don't smoke. So for they your respond per- better to therapy and everything. So for your personal um, professional opinion, you know what we're seeing right now with kids my age or younger vapes, right? Everybody's vaping. I don't. I got. All, I I did. I got onto it when I was like 16 and I stopped when I was like 18. Cause I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. I don't even know yeah. why I'm doing it. Do you think that we haven't seen it? Cause we haven't done the long-term study, but do you think that right. um, vapes are going to cause lung cancer the same way that um, smoking cigarettes does? So it's interesting. I don't really know. I don't know. <clears throat> and I don't know because I haven't seen whatever the data is available. So let me like full disclosure, the difference between like, what I do and like what like an oncologist does who goes to medical school, has an MD, and then goes to a residency and all those things is that they treat patients. They're like, they see patients, they write prescriptions, they diagnose, they're trying to understand these like health impact stuff. Like how does, how does, you know, the world impact a person's health and then how can I help understand that? My PhD is really focused around understanding tumor biology and then creating drugs that kill tumor cells and keep the patient alive. So a lot of these questions, which I get asked these questions all the time because everywhere wants to know these things. We like understand like, because this thing caused cancer and like, you know, how does this stuff work? I don't really know the answers to that stuff. And I don't really read that literature because I'm also not like a, like a epidemiologist or like a population geneticist who like looks at that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're going to ask me, Hey, does this molecule specifically have like a cancer risk? It's like, yeah, I got a resource for that. I'll look that up. <laughs> Cause I'm more on like the biochemistry of tumors. But in your professional opinion, do you think it's going to cause cancer? Um, I don't know. Cause um, like, for example, there's not an association between marijuana use and lung cancer. Yeah. See, I was going to get into get into that with you. I just didn't know your personal opinion that marijuana. I I was going to, I was thinking about this when we were talking about alcohol. Sorry for everyone that wanted the vape question. You're out the way. I was thinking about that out. We have the two drugs that are, were commonly pushed by a bunch of companies and very legal for 18 and now 21 for everything tobacco and, or nicotine and um, alcohol directly cause health effects directly cause death doesn't have to be cancer, but they directly cause death and unhealthy lifestyles. And marijuana, which is a more timid drug, it causes probably less deaths than alcohol does not related to Yeah, definitely for sure. <laughs> yeah, like you, people are eating, maybe their eating habits aren't the greatest, but you know, yeah. that could be that could be for society's <clears throat> problems, making McDonald's. Like pure stuff. death, it's like really hard to OD on like marijuana. TNC. Yeah, and also you're not going to yeah, get up really and- hard. You don't want to go drive somewhere when you're high. You're like, oh, do I really got to do that right now? Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. I will say this though. I, I definitely think uh, I'm not a, you know, marijuana use, I'm, you know, whatever floats your boat, as long as you know, you're not hurting people, mm-hmm. in my personal opinion. You know, I think it's bullshit that it's illegal and alcohol is legal. Like alcohol kills like thousands of Americans, if not millions of Americans, and definitely influences death because people are driving with DUIs and killing other people and themselves. So like the fact that that shit's legal and that marijuana isn't legal doesn't make any sense to me. But just from a health perspective, we know a few things about marijuana use. Marijuana use in adolescence, people who's, you know, teenagers, brains are still figuring out, they're still maturing, all that shit. There's a ton of literature and studies looking at this 
and cognitive function and memory will decline if people are introduced to marijuana earlier in age. That makes sense. There's a psychedelic effect. These drugs work on receptors in your brain. There's, that makes a ton of sense. Kids should not be smoking marijuana, fair enough. But for adults, at least from a cancer biology perspective, I haven't come across any data that looks at that, but also too, because it's been illegal, it's really hard to get accurate, large assessments yeah. of it. Because even gauging marijuana use is really hard because again, we're like using survey data, which is like the weakest form of large scale data yeah. approaches. Cause like people can just lie. Somebody should just uh, Snoop Dogg and Wiz Khalifa and track their Yeah, life. right. See, yeah. But you know, you got like the old lady that smokes 10 packs of cigarettes a day and then like gets hit by a car and like doesn't have lung cancer. That shit happens all the time. So yeah, the marijuana thing is like, and also too on the flip side, marijuana definitely doesn't cure cancer. I have had that debate a lot. I didn't um, think it cured cancer, but I will say this. Why do you, two, two questions. Why doesn't the smoke, if you know, cause cancer in the lungs? Because you would think smoke and, and anything, like people got lung cancer from Vietnam and the gas is there. You know, toxins into the lungs usually has a, yeah, a but direct- it's in the gas that matters. Mm, but why do you think, or why do you, if you know, why does marijuana smoke not cause cancer? Yeah, I don't. I don't think um, there's, there's a few things. I think as like, so marijuana is getting legalized. And I think in like two decades, we'll really know if there's an increase with as things get regulated and then like use gets easier to like acknowledge from like a study perspective. Um, and then it won't be illegal. So like even doing studies with marijuana is like extremely difficult because for all intents and purposes, it's still a controlled substance by the federal government and that just creates a huge barrier to do any studies with it but like you can start like a smoking secession study like no problem at your university so studying these things is difficult in, in that part but i just think that the the small molecules the chemistry that's in marijuana the thc and all that stuff just doesn't have a carcinogenic effect unlike the things that are in tobacco that do have a carcinogenic effect. And the smoking stuff, now smoking does stuff to the esophagus and the lungs. It causes the cilia to paralyze and all different types of physiological effects, but does it cause tissue damage and mutations? Because ultimately that's what you need to get cancer. You need something that's gonna generate mutations in a cell. Um, I don't, I, for whatever reason, well, not for whatever reason, but the chemistry that's there, and again, too, I don't know how many hundreds of molecules are in marijuana. We know what's in cigarettes because they're highly regulated. And so we know that these compounds are carcinogens because we study it because it's highly regulated. We don't really know all of the things that are in marijuana. Probably, probably have cataloged a lot of those molecules because people are studying all of the molecules inside of marijuana. Um, but at least the data thus far doesn't seem like there's any increased cancer risk thus far. Well, marijuana too, we, it helps cancer patients with hunger, right? Or, or eat, with eating, correct? Yeah. And some, yeah. I mean, there's also, also some, um, hey, listen, if I was a physician and um, if I was going to give a patient opiates versus having them smoke a joint, I would say, hey, listen, try smoking a joint and see if you feel better. You know, does, does that help control your pain? And if it helped control their pain, I'd rather give them that than give them opiates. 
Yeah, one thing you that, know can cause respiratory depression. Yeah, and one thing that um, I think is a problem. Now, okay, I'm so I go to college in Oregon. So oh, I have, just, I have friends in Oregon. So when they just <laughs> decriminalize drugs, two things. One of them, I understand where you're going with this. People shouldn't be in drug in, in jail for um, addictions. There should be another way to fight it. But one thing I think is good is we have people are getting addicted to these prescription drugs, these opiates, when there are certain things that could help people's mental health that are natural, like marijuana, low doses of marijuana, CBD, and like, um, I don't know if you're anything into psychedelics, but they're doing this, the psilocybin trials on people with mental health yeah. issues. Mm-hmm. And, and PTSD. And PTSD. And yeah, yeah. they're seeing real correlations with a better life. And mm-hmm. I'm there's no overdoses, anything. I think at small doses – with natural elements, now acid obviously was created in a lab, but with like a psilocybin, that's something that's naturally created that causes, that doesn't cause respiratory, um, what you said, depression. depression. Yeah. It, I feel like it's better so, for you. So there's an interesting point. There's, there's two things you said that I, I'll touch on. <clears throat> the first thing is that um, I'm all for, I think, you know, as a scientist, right, we're supposed to be like very objective and, you know, and almost robotic in a sense, like pursuing questions for the truth and not inputting our own bias on them and those things. But the reality is that we're human. And so when we live in a, when we, we all operate in a culture, in a society, right? And um, I think when there's a societal perspective on something like marijuana use, it gets really hard, or even drug use in general, it gets really hard to like actually ask scientific questions. Like, hey, does mushrooms help PTSD? Like, we're doing that study now. Mushrooms have been around forever. That should have been a study in the 70s that should have done, we should, that should, should be, we should, if it turns out that that's positive, we've wasted like decades over philosophical bullshit when it comes to like leveraging something that could have been effective and helped people, right? Because of this perception on drug use and in drugs in general. So that's, that's my opinion on that. And I'm all for these studies because then we will really know whether they work at helping these things. Yeah. Randomized people, you guys get mushrooms, you guys get placebo, whose PTSD gets better. You know, get a thousand people, 500, 500, do the stats, boom, mushrooms help people with PTSD. There should not be a reason why we shouldn't be able to give people mushrooms if they have PTSD, if that's what the study says. Like, there shouldn't be a reason we don't do that. As far as the natural versus Synthetic thing. Some of the most toxic things on the planet are made by plants and insects and bacteria. Natural does not imply better in general. Because like the puffer fish. All of the, huh? The puffer fish. Right. The yeah. I mean, fungi produce crazy stuff. Most of the antibiotics that we make actually were synthesized from other bacteria. We just find out what those things are and then make them better drugs, so to speak. A lot of the anti, a lot of the initial chemotherapeutics came from plants. So we just use chemistry to make these things better, right? And, the, and what we mean by that is like, there's two elements in pharmacology or two like, um, like two characteristics that all drugs have. Pharmacodynamic characteristics, which is what the drug does. And then pharmacokinetic characteristics, which is how does the drug work in your body? like is it eliminated by like urine or poop or sweat or how does it get metabolized? How long is it in the body for? That's pharmacokinetics. 
And so sometimes drugs are really effective at doing something, but they have poor pharmacokinetic properties. You can't take them orally. We got to make them an IV. They have really short half-lives. That means that you got to give a patient a lot of it for it to work because it gets rapidly metabolized. So then we use medicinal chemistry to add molecules and synthesize things that come from natural products. They're not synthetic because we made them, but they're better versions of the natural products. So natural doesn't mean better. Plenty of natural shit that could ruin your life <laughs> uh, in general. I think, um, I think the natural appeal is, is, especially in our lifetime, it's, it's really a marketing thing. It's, it's really a way to use natural and associate it with health and a way to sell products. But you talk to any chemist or anything like that, you know, natural synthetic tomato banana, just, you know, they're both fruit in this context. Yeah, especially since we have scientists who can create things that are better than natural chemicals, correct, right? Yeah. Um, I think the whole thing is a lot of the, especially drugs related, is a lot of uh, not, I'm talking about like drugs that alter the state of mind. Addiction is a big problem with synthetic, right? Um, and with uh, natural, it's, there's not really, I don't really know, it's besides nicotine and tobacco, there's not really a really, and caffeine, caffeine, there's not really a really addictive yeah. chemical in marijuana i guess you can get addicted to the feeling but that seems more like a personal kind of addiction than it yeah is i mean addiction in itself is like there's a biochemical element and then there's also like the mental element there's you know so pharmacogenomics is like the study of like how genetic differences impact drug uh, metabolism and effect and stuff like that and we know cer certain people have what we call polymorphisms or, or haplotypes means they're like groups of inherited genes that impact how they experience drugs. So like you can literally inherit genes that make you more prone to alcohol addiction. Yeah. And so it's like, we know that there's a physiological thing, but again, like if somebody is smoking marijuana or a mushroom, whatever, so much that they have let it impact their life negatively, they probably have other psychological coping issues. And the marijuana is just like the vessel in which they're trying to escape from those things it's not yeah, really about yeah. the weed right like it's about them and their situation more so yeah. not being all right in their own head i found right. that getting older that my brain works in a certain way where not that i'm like increased in depression or anything like that but i think all the time like all like you don't understand i i mean you might be the same way but like i'll just lay in bed overanalyzing everything just like yeah, yeah, yeah. if i can't let it shut up and i think a lot of people have that but like i go into weird philosophical things sometimes like i was telling my friend like i woke up in the middle of the night after i had like a, a very vivid dream and i thought for two hours about like basically that how i have philosophical moments i, I study philosophy but about how like all I was was the connection of genes from my ancestors and my parents and that I'm not really special. Like I had that realization for, after two hours of thinking and I was just like, and I woke up the next day, like, what the hell am I doing? And so. Yeah. That's not a very motivating perspective to have, right? No, it's, it's very existential. I know. Um, yeah. Tends to happen when you think philosophically about the universe. Cause it's just too like, if you let yourself like feel the, how small you are as comparative to everything that we know, it's, you can feel like you get, squish you got to just like bring like all right i have a dead yeah. clean you know <clears throat> no i totally feel i mean to be honest i have like um for me it's mostly with like with work now 
Mm. I mean, I think part of the reason I became a scientist is because like as a little kid, you know, I was just like super inquisitive and wanted to learn and really enjoyed learning. And um, school was like my escape. So like, I grew up in like Brooklyn, I grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn, you know, not in the great, greatest neighborhoods and not with like a ton of money, with no money actually. <laughs> and um, school was like my outlet, school and sports. And so I just like dived into that. But like why school was like really good for me was also because I was just like, I still to this day, I have this like, I'm always thinking, I have this super busy brain. I talk fast. I, you know, that's just kind of like my character. And I used to be like that when I was younger, where I was, you know, more like thinking about my place in the universe and stuff like that. And I think now it's like, um, I'm really just focused on like living this one life that I have, because we only get one. I don't have any religious beliefs or anything like that. So it's like, I got, I got 80 years or I can get hit by a bus tomorrow. <laughs> Who knows? But I have whatever that time is that I'm allotted to make as much difference as possible, to enjoy my life and try to like do right and to live a happy and healthy life. And if I can impact people in that process and do something good for the world, fucking great. Mm -hmm. And that is like my primary focus. And so like things like outside of that goal really I try to like push to the outskirts of my like consciousness I try not to like think about it too much like you know the world is like a crazy place and it's like you know like you ever heard this expression like first world problems yeah yeah and it's like you know we like probably bitch about things all the time it's like first world problems and stuff and I'm like it's bad out there and it's like I used to get caught up in thinking about how bad it is for other people and it would be like depressing yeah and so I just like, I had to like accomplish these goals. Like, and so like being goal oriented has also like helped like focus my attention so I can just think deeply about the things that I need to do to accommodate these goals. And not to say it's not a, a bad thing to think about the world on like broader perspectives, but you gotta like have a balance between letting your mind wonder on things, um, especially when you're thinking deeply about it. Because then, like you said, you get into a space where, like, you're thinking really deeply about something, you come to a conclusion, it's like, damn, now what do I do with that information or that insight now? Like, how do you let that insight impact you? No, yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, and that's what all anybody wants to do in this life, right? I feel like most people's fear of death isn't really a fear of death. It's a fear of being inadequate when they die, right? I had that realization not too long ago. It's everybody wants to make a difference. But we forget that difference starts at the local level. If you want to change the world, you got to change yourself first. That's, a, that's not my quote. So don't, don't quote me on that one. That was somebody else, somebody way smarter. Than but if you want to – like that one, there's a famous video of that. Um, I don't know if he was a Marine – commander or something but he's like if you want to change the world make your bed every morning you know straighten yourself up or like i don't know if you know who jordan peterson is he always says clean your room and then like you'll i yeah i i have like a i have like a love hate i'm like an 80 percent hate 20 percent love with jordan peterson yeah he's very uh what is the word for it um polarizing that's the word he is very polarizing but you know a lot of his um a lot of the stuff he says is like in my opinion, it's not groundbreaking. Maybe because I got my shit together. And it's like, yeah. that's why it's not groundbreaking, right? But like, if I needed to get my shit together, listening to him probably would like, be really important. Not to say I'm against guys who motivate, like motivational speakers and shit like that, because people yeah. need more help than others. But like, 
this motherfucker is not Gandhi, okay? Like, he's, yeah. like, telling people to, like, do shit they should already be doing, for, for the most part. The part that I don't, that gets me a little um, upset with him is that um, because he's, like, a psychologist, and I think this happens a lot with really smart people, particularly who have some status in, in the society or in scientists or whatever otherwise, is that he, he's often challenged by people who are not experts in shit that they're asking him about. So like he's debating or arguing with people who are not other psychologists. And so like he presents an idea like that's the clinical psychology idea set in stone. Mm-hmm. Like it, that is the truth. And I think it's important to like, for everybody to understand that um, there are relatively few scientific truths like pure truths that are like hey we know for sure that this is the case because like especially in something like psychology where the probabilities and the nuances in human behavior are extreme like because I'm, I'm in the physical sciences right like we're, we're killing things with chemicals and shit and like we control the environment it can only do so many different things and statistics is really important there Mm-hmm. And like we literally give patients drugs and like it only works in like 50% of them. And sometimes we don't know why it doesn't work in the other 50%. So like when we give that patient a drug, we don't know if it's going to work. Sometimes we don't know if it's going to work for that patient or not. But we know if we do nothing at all, you'll be worse. Like so we're that's why we suggest giving, you know, we recommend, hey, let's try the treatment, let's do that. Because the probabilities. We know if we give it to 10 people, seven live this long. We don't know if you're going to be the three or the seven, but we know doing nothing automatically makes you the three people where you have bad outcomes. And so that's how clinicians talk and that's how the world operates. And he doesn't speak in that way. He doesn't speak like a scientist. He speaks like a politician. (laughs) And I don't like that because you're not really representing science in that way. He, he, He often needs to present ideas in a way like you know some studies suggest this and this is what the data suggests especially when you're in psychology because this <laughs> once you get out of the physical sciences um and what i mean like chemistry biology physics shit like that and you start getting into like sociology psychology political science political science shit even economics which is like economics is not it's not a, it's, it's math, it's entrenched in math. Math is the tool of economics, but human behavior dictates the economic landscape. It is not like a cut and dry science. Like it is not fucking physics. So like when, when people say economists say this and I'm just like, economists have very like widely different opinions on economic principles. And that's something that's like kind of fuzzy sometimes. We know that because like, if it was that easy, then like we wouldn't be having economic issues, right? <laughs> and so I just, I'm just like kind of, he kind of annoys me a bit. And um, I feel like a lot of scientists, people with science backgrounds that are in the spotlight, spotlight, when they're doing really well in a public space, it's because they're not actually being great scientists. They're, they have to kind of make the lines fuzzy for them to get popular appeal. It's a little annoying for me. Yeah, look at Fauci. He said masks work, and then the emails came out, and he said masks don't work. It's like, bro, get your shit together. Everyone's listening to you in the United States. This is an interesting – I had this discussion over the weekend, actually. Fauci's a hard case here because um, I think he got caught um, 
between a rock and a hard place when, when you're in a public space. And I say this because when you're speaking to lay people, people who are not scientists, <clears throat> particularly in this space, we don't have, like he doesn't have, um, first let me say he's not a great scientific communicator. And what I mean by that is that he doesn't take the things that he knows are true and package them in a way that are understandable to the masses very well. But then again, that's not his job, really. His job is to lead the fucking NIH and <laughs> be an immunologist. At the same time, he's just put in a public spotlight and he should have been more careful about the messaging that he was delivering, definitely. Um, but, you know, so it's like kind of interesting area and this happens to scientists all the time. You got people who are not great communicators to begin with. They're great scientists. That's where they're in these positions and um, they just communicate things poorly or they say things that they think would be helpful, even though that being truthful, being true all the time is always better than trying to mold the truth so that people can accept it and deal with it, in my opinion. And that's why I'm an asshole. Scientific but, opinion though. I feel like a lot of scientists have a hold that opinion. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, definitely. It's definitely like, it's definitely like a, the science world, like other scientists talk to each other in like a brutal fashion because we're like very blunt and mm -hmm. there's like no time to be wasted when it comes to stuff like that. Everybody feels like what they do is like literally the most important thing in the universe. Of course. And yeah. so they're very like, um, you know, like razor sharp. You kind of build a tough skin being a scientist because people are literally trying to poke holes in all of your arguments and that's good. So it makes us better. But when you get to society and you're talking to normal people, people don't like that shit. No, no. <laughs> so I'm um, so yeah, so it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing. Like the reality is like look how poor like mass wearing was so poor in this country, like mass adherence. Um vaccine uptake is relatively poor. And it's like sometimes you know have to deal with public society, and it's like, do I want to argue with people and say, hey, listen, you should get the vaccine because of like all of these foundational scientific concepts. All of that becomes irrelevant when you think that the government is trying to poison you. Yep. <laughs> you know, like all of that, that entire argument doesn't matter when you think the government is trying to poison you. So wearing a mask, all of the good scientific reasons behind that or the or me having the foresight is about, you know, listen, this is probably going to get worse and we should say this because X, Y, and Z. None of that matters when you think the government is trying to poison you. So... I think it's um I think it's hard. It's just it's a hard place for him to be in, and he fucked up. But the reality of the situation is that he was doing his the things he was supposed to do and making like the proper guideline as far as like the decision making is concerned for like the population. I think he should have been less in the spotlight. But then again, he didn't really have a choice because of all of these other issues, you know, with the president, all this shit. <laughs> so yeah, it's a kind of crazy situation. So with that, you know, we're talking about influential people. How do you feel about, you know, somebody who's so influential, who's not any of the, not a politician, not a, not a politician, not a scientist. He's not even a philosopher, but he has the most influential show and people listen to him. How do you feel about Joe Rogan and his influence, especially when he talks about the vaccine and he told like countless 21 year olds to not get it because you should. And then people listen to that because he's, the most yeah. influential speaker probably right now. Um, how do I feel about it? 
I feel like there's only two ways to feel about it. You believe that we operate in a country where people can free can speak freely and it is what it is, or you think that what he's doing is irresponsible and therefore we should do something about it. So I'm 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 the I'm the latter. I believe we operate, you know, in the country yeah. where she could speak whatever, you know. He's popular. He fucked. Up. He says shit that's crazy. You know, this is why scientific literacy is a super is super important. He should be able to say something that's completely ridiculous. Like if he gets on his show and he's like, "Yeah, you know, bleach will cure your esophageal cancer." Do I expect, if if not if not hundreds, maybe thousands of people to be like, drink bleach? Yes, that totally could happen. He has one of the most popular podcasts on the fucking planet. I also expect people to go, you know what? If it was that easy, I think they would have figured it out already. <laughs> you hope. Honestly, you hope. <laughs> I would hope. That's what I hope for the society I live in. Yeah, then you like then you go to In and Out and it's a touchless sensor and some guy's ripping it trying to fucking get the ice out. And you're like, Oh, this is people in society, man. There's we got yeah. we there are some Neanderthals out there for sure. But I think most people are have the common sense to not drink bleach in that specific most definitely world. most I mean, I is a little generous though you know yeah i i got away from um so i have like almost like ten thousand followers on, on instagram right and and the reason i got those followers was from arguing with people mostly yeah i would like you know when gmos were really controversial a few years ago i was like a big gmo advocate because like genetic engineering could like change our whole landscape and, uh, you know, people were super afraid and, you know, it was crazy government shit and vaccines. And I was, you know, arguing a lot. And that produced like a lot of trending flair and all that stuff. So I got a lot of scientific following. But I had to step away from that because um, like doing that on social media, because um, it's just not a good use of my time, honestly. Like um, I'm totally here for to help people, you know, people are in my DMs asking scientific questions or want to learn about stuff or, hey, I'm, I'm prepping for an interview. Can you help me? I'm a PhD student. Yo, listen, get in my inbox. I'll help you out. Follow me on LinkedIn, all that shit. I will help 999, whatever people that stop following me if I can. But like just debating on social media, I just like, I just can't do it anymore, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, my I don't debate people on social media for that reason. I debate people in real life quite a bit, but yeah. I, one thing I have to keep myself, keep my eyes open for is people tend to clip things that I say. Maybe they're not exactly what I say. And, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. Blah, blah, blah. White supremacist. No, I am not a white supremacist, first off. <laughs> oh, my God. He's, he's a misogynist. And then I'm just like, if I watch it, I can get myself like, you motherfucker, you know, like start getting all mad. It's like, I, I can't, I can't. Anything I get tagged in, I, I get scared because, or I get sent to me. Sometimes they send it to me. And I'm just like, oh, man. you got you to gotta take a step back of social media if you have a little bit of a following because there's always going to be people who tend to come at you with knives. Sometimes it's more people with knives than it is with hearts and hugs. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, it's like, um, that's fucked up. Because you should be able to just, like, have a conversation and not, like, yo, don't get me wrong. If you said something that was, like, ridiculous, like, you you N-word, I'm like, uh, yeah. you might be a racist. But having a conversation about something that's, like, like, to be honest, I'm, I, I have, like, 
my political and worldviews are like very different and like they're all over the place. And that's a good thing. I love talking to people and having different opinions and understanding where people are coming from and all that stuff. I don't like getting into a screaming match or like not having a civil conversation with somebody or then because my views don't align with, with someone now it's like we have an issue and all that social media amplifies that whole issue into a volcano <laughs> yeah especially and, um, because oh no finish what you're gonna say no i was not keep going yeah. i was gonna say especially because like if i'm sitting here talking to you or we're in person and like maybe we'd get in a screaming match, but you wouldn't say nearly what you would say on the on the internet behind a screen. Oh yeah, we'll say some outlandish shit on on Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's that. How would well, you be called like super uh, racist shit? On oh, I'm I'm I am sure you have. They have like a science argument. In a science argument, they're talking racial yes. slurs. Bro, I'm telling you because the reality is like, again, I was like. So I'm 31. I started my page, you know, I like, I had a regular page and I turned into like a science page, probably like 25 or something like 26 or something like that, maybe even younger. And then like I had it all through grad school. And I was like, um, more vulgar before, right? So like, mm. you know, call somebody an idiot or something like that, or like, yo, what you're saying doesn't make any sense, you know, <laughs> whatever. And it's like, all of a sudden, the science argument turns from hey, listen, there's no data to support those claims. And so you're like either misinterpreting it or making it up or or delusional. And then it's like, well, you house sneak, like this crazy, like backwood, super racist shit. It tends know, to happen. Like, I'm like, yo, this is crazy. It tends to happen so much to the point where false. I change my avatar. And I'd be like, yo, why am I even changing my profile photo to what stop people from being racist online with me? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, so that's like, that's when I was like, yo, listen, I can't let, you know, other people impact, impact my own actions in that way. Like, no, yeah, you got to stay like, that's one thing Joe Rogan does say that I agree with post and leave, get out of there. Just don't, don't go back for a while. If I went through my comments on some of my like clips that I've made or just videos, I would lose it. Sometimes they're good. Like I had a psychedelic artist not too long. This is the cool thing. I get to talk to people like who are scientists and then I get to talk to psychedelic artists who are telling me that trees are alive. Or, or, they are alive, but they're conscious. And I'm like- They're not conscious. And I, yeah, see- no, see, yeah, They're not conscious. Yeah. See, exactly. And I, and I get to hear these points of views and then I'm just sitting here with all this knowledge about trees being conscious and not conscious. And then I'm like, well, then I have my own argument at night um, feeding me for- right, right feeding me for my nighttime overthinking but no it's cool because i can go from different realms but i digress um you can't let yourself see what people are saying about you because they're gonna be rude as fuck they're gonna be so rude yeah people are so it gets, um, it gets crazy and i think it's because like um you know not to be like not to sound arrogant but you can't have like a intellectual deep you know esoteric even conversation with everyone everyone's not up for that shit yeah and so <clears throat> you gotta kind of the internet is just a smorgasbord of you know everyone's got a keyboard and internet access and that's not always the people you should be like you know having conversations with about you know everything so yeah i don't um and you know part of this too is like i don't post as much on social media because i'm i, I graduated and i'm working and i'm just like super swamped 
and like posting on social media has just been deprioritized for me. But also too, it's like, do I even want to post, do I even want to police the internet anymore? Because like, that's what I felt like. So if coronavirus happened like three years ago, I would have been posting about coronavirus myths and debunking videos and all type of crazy stuff. Like I've been doing that. Kind of what Kenan does? Yeah. So he's, you know, Kenan started, shit, he might be a third year. I think he's a fourth year. Yeah. So he's finishing soon. Um, Or he should be. PhDs are usually like four to six years, depending on what happens. But yeah, you know, I can't do that anymore. (laughs) And I applaud the people that do, because I'm like, you know what, this is a good video. It was done good. I'll share it. But um, like right now, people are saying with the vaccines that it's making them magnetic. I saw that. And they're sticking keys to their to their forehead. And um, I'm like, should I create, should I even take the 15? Because you know, it's the reality. <clears throat> I'm not a physicist, right? But like, I, I, I can make a scientific argument. I could probably do some resources, research, find some sources, explain why this shit is complete bullshit. It probably would take me like an hour. Is it worth my hour to do? <laughs> I've, I've come to be like, it's not, um, that's not what I want to spend my um, time. Yeah, I'd rather talk to like high school kids who are like thinking about college careers or some shit like that, mm-hmm. or get on a podcast and like have an interesting conversation. Then like make a post debunking something that is is so ridiculous in my opinion, right? But plenty of people are believing that, so somebody needs to do it. I just have let go of that like scientific communication responsibility. Yeah, um, dude. My most watched TikTok ever is a video of Kenan talking about the virus, um, the um, vaccine when it first came out in February, and uh-huh. oh man, the comments! Oh, you don't know, crazy. They were like. They were like, my cousin got lupus and got hit by a bus and my, my <laughs> uncle has brain tumor now. And it, it was just like, and then people were like, you're an idiot and you're an idiot. And it was just people arguing. I, I was, and I would like, cause they weren't, and some of them were being like, oh, he's not talking about this though. And now granted, I posted it four months later. So like he, when we were talking in February, obviously there's not, we're not updated information. Right, right. But all these people, man, like I, it's fascinating. They just get in these arguments on my video about the vaccine and how it's killing children, giving them malaria or something like that. And you're just like, dude, this is what are you talking about, man? You know, it's a crazy thing, too. <clears throat> and I'm sure you're, you're a philosophy guy. So, like, you know, appealing to authority and like all of the like the, the, the fallacies and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and um, yo, don't get me wrong. Nobody should listen to me because I've got a PhD in cancer biology, right? Like that does not automatically make me right. But at the same time, there is a reason why we have experts. And I feel like in today's society, we have, um, especially in, in the age of the internet, we have like seriously devalued expertise. For sure. Um, like the perception of, like I've been in school for fucking ever. <laughs> and I'm like, um, don't get me wrong. I'm probably not right about everything, but I'm really confident in, in, in the narrow slice of knowledge that I've carved out, right? Um, 
And that's what an expert is supposed to, to do, is supposed to be really proficient in that thing or things. Um, and I feel like because the internet provides information, it's like, I've done my research, which is the craziest thing I've always, I always hear whenever I get into somebody with like a scientific argument, they're like, well, I've done my research and this and the third. And I'm like, remember elementary school when they used to like teach you like primary or like secondary resources and like, <laughs> and like who, what, when, where, why, and like people will like read something on the internet that agrees with them. And then it's true. That's it. That's all they need. And in my head, I was like, um, you know, as a scientist, it's like, I know that all scientific papers are not created equal. I also know that just because something is published, yes, it undergoes peer review, but that doesn't mean it's right. Part of what scientists do is debate each other all the time to get to the right answer. And these are the smartest people in the world, essentially, right? The people who hold the PhDs, those, these are some of the smartest humans in the world are trying to figure out the complex shit. And Timothy, who, works at fucking Cracker Jack has figured out the government's anti-population scheme. Hey, <laughs> fuck you, Timothy. <laughs> yeah, like, give me a break. I mean, like, again, uh, you know, I try not to sound like an asshole with this stuff, but it's like, we also live in a culture where, like, everyone's opinion has to be, like, validated and, like... Everyone's got to be not offended by someone else. Yeah, and at the same time, it's like, I should, I should totally be within my right to say, hey, Timothy, you're, you know, you're probably a smart guy. Listen, you can get smarter and, you know, you probably work at Cracker Jack right now, but you are in no way, shape, or form in a position to be making arguments about what the fuck the government is is or isn't doing as compared to whomever, right? That's what pisses me off the most is that when intelligent people are morons and they make these invalid arguments in an intelligent way, it's like, bro, you could be using your brain for so many other things than talking yeah. about some dumb alien, what are they, uh, they're, uh, what are they, they're lizard people. President. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, man. So that's a, that gets, it gets to an interesting point too, because, um, just like how we have smart people who believe in crazy shit and like they, they're wasting their, like essentially their intelligence or their, their aptitudes on this crazy shit. There's also really smart people who have understood that they're smart or, um, they know that they're smarter than average and, and they're making, and they're using their arguments to like, essentially profit themselves or build following. This happens on Instagram a lot. Because there's like a a flip side of like the influencer thing. They're smart people. They figured it out. They they understand what works and what doesn't work. And um, I hate those people too. (laughs) Would you consider Gary Vee one of those people? Yo, um, no, not at all. I say this because, also I question, why, why would you bring up Gary Vee in that context? Cause I like Gary Vee and I, but I think he, he's figured out how to, he's definitely figured out the way, cause he's very smart with social media. Cause he's like early investor and things like that, but he, mm-hmm. he understands how to reach people, people's minds in the right way. Like he understands how, what he can get as much people to listen if he want, as he wants to. Yeah. I love Gary Vee. I think he's a genius. He doesn't got a, you know, he's got a fucking degree from Cracker Jack university who knows he's, he's, he's a, he's brilliant. Like, and degrees, like degree, no degree doesn't matter. The guy is brilliant. He has understood the whole social media game. He's got booming companies, Vayner Media, all that shit. I'm a huge Gary Vee fan. But most of the stuff he says is shit that we should already be doing. Same thing. Yeah, dude. It's all of them though, isn't it? Yeah, he's not like super. And when it comes to like talking about content and stuff, yes, for sure. He's definitely got a strategy and you should definitely listen to him when he's giving that advice. 
when he's giving like life advice, I'm like, this is just what you're supposed to be doing. Like, and be the kind. like yeah, right, exactly. Like, be kind of be patient. Hmm. In my head, I'm like, I didn't know that. Hmm. <laughs> like, yo, this guy is Jesus. That's not. <laughs> so no, not Gary because like you know, that's Gary's like job is like he's, you know what you're getting from him is to like he market himself. Um, I think it's more self like um, like guys that promote like the you know like the herbal remedies and stuff like that and and like diet trends and stuff. I don't think all of these people believe their own. Like they're not drinking their own Kool-Aid. I think some of these people know that it's bullshit. They know that they're bullshitting people, but they're intelligent and they're taking advantage of that. And I hate those people more than I hate the people who really believe that the lemon tea milkshake somehow makes you lose weight. And it's the fact that you're just not, you're eating less calories. It's (laughs) It's something about the lemon shake. There's a guy, V Shred, he does that. He's always like, would cake or salad or what, something like that. And, you, and you're like, obviously pizza or whatever. And he's, he's shredded. He's like, no, dude, eating like shit, it clearly makes you be, um, more uh, overweight than not eating like shit. Even if you work out, if you eat bad, you're not going to be as fit as you would be yeah, if of course. you don't eat bad. It's like, you're not going to, yes, we would all rather eat pizza and you can eat pizza once in a while, but you shouldn't be eating pizza every night. Stop telling people they can do that because they can't. Yeah, I mean, unless you wake up in the morning and you go, and that's all you do is go to the gym, and you're. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't even think he eats it though. I think he's just like, he just oh, shows it. It's definitely bullshit. He's yeah. too shredded for it to not be bullshit, and he's got. Or he's on testosterone. Mm, yeah, he's juicing. Yeah, you could be that, but I also it could be you have enough money, you could be making like good steak and good chicken and things like that, where it's like. You don't have to eat this bland chicken and rice like everybody else does. You have enough money to where you can promote bullshit and eat healthy. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I will say this though. I didn't like, I like hated vegetables like my entire life until I like got turned into an adult mm-hmm. and um, started eating at like nice restaurants and stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, vegetables don't have to taste like shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like the whole e- eating healthy thing too is like, and I used to get into a lot of uh, nutrition arguments, <clears throat> especially with like um, supplements and diet and stuff like that. Um, again, I think there's like a losing weight is a lot less complicated than people make it seem. It's 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 just a consistency thing. The reality is that bad food tastes good, and your brain likes it. Yes, it does. And working out sucks. But and your brain you likes it. Time. Huh? But your brain does like it if you get your Your brain likes it. Your brain loves, after you've been working out, because your brain loves that. Yeah. But at the moment, it sucks. It right sucks. before, right before is the worst part. Like, yeah, like, especially leg day. I'm to run five so miles. I don't want to do that. It's leg day for dudes <laughs> like mother. Yeah. So, but you know, it's like, it's just about consistency, right? And it's like the whole eating thing is like, Keto versus all the stuff. Listen, if you want to lose weight, eat eat less calories than you burn. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. No special diet required. No vegetables gonna do, especially in the U.S. Like, you go to the grocery store. There's bananas from Guatemala there. Like, there's literally everything on the planet up there. Like in your Whole Foods or Definitely. normal supermarket. So there's no reason for you not to have a balanced diet. You don't need to eat certain foods 
at certain times of the day and all this other crazy shit that they make up to make them valid. Their health advice valid, I think. They're making it up. Um, and so I think it's part of like their gimmick to make it seem really complicated so that they can provide you with like the expertise mm-hmm. of them being like this health guru type shit. Because if it was don't eat a pizza before you go to sleep every night. That that's really quick advice that you don't have to pay me hundreds of dollars for. Yeah, you should know not to eat a whole pizza before you go to bed at night. LeBaron Agostini, PhD. Love talking to this guy. I'm going to have him on in the next few months uh, to come back on and have a specific theme and really dive deeper into specific topics. You know, I love talking to different types of people. Doctors, virologists, psychedelic artists, boxers, you name it. So I really recommend if you haven't listened to the 62 prior episodes to this one, go check them out. Leave a review. Let me know what I'm doing good and what I can do better. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, have a great day and stay demanding.